Hello, and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things collection development, reader's advisory, and reference right in your earbuds. I'm Susan McGuire, coming to you from Booklist HQ's temporary studio in my closet. I hope you're all taking good care of yourselves and each other as we fight the epidemics of COVID-19 and systematic racism. It is comedically naive to say that reading will solve our problems, but as Brianna Shamrosky said in the intro to Booklist's Reading for Change blog post, it is a start. I'll post a link to the Booklist recommended anti-racism titles for all ages in the show notes, along with a link to the Black Lives Matter comics list that the Graphic Novels and Comics Roundtable and the Black Caucus of ALA put together. It is a start. Speaking of comics, Booklist is celebrating Graphic Novels and Libraries Month in July, which means subscribers can expect another terrific supplement with the July issue. Hooray, right? The graphic novel love continues here on Shelf Care, where I talk to Patrick Holt of the Durham County Library in North Carolina about his work sharing graphic novels with book groups. Then audio editor Heather Booth shares some great book group choices on audio, and I talk to one of Booklist's Books for Youth editors, Ronnie Curry, about what he's into reading-wise. But first, a word from our sponsor, who is us. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a booklister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care the podcast. Happy listening! A serendipitous patron interaction led Patrick Holt to become Durham County Library's unofficial ambassador for graphic novels and book groups. While Durham County does have a dedicated graphic novel book group, run by fellow librarian John Davis, what Patrick does is a little different. As usual, we talk about a lot of resources, and this is a gentle reminder that the show notes will be there for you at booklistonline.com shelf care. All right. I am here with Patrick Holt, who is an adult services librarian at the Durham County Library in North Carolina. And let's talk about book groups and graphic novels. Durham has a graphic novel book group, but we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about you pushing the book group agenda, or the, I'm sorry, the graphic novel agenda on unsuspecting other book groups. Is that how you phrase it? That's about right. Yes. And let me segue real quick. I can move my cat if that's being... Oh, I can't hear the cat. Okay. Well, I guess... But we're probably going to leave this in because librarians love cats. Lovely. Well, her name is Pancake, just so you know. O-M-G. Okay. Amazing. All right. But yes, yeah, the idea is bringing graphic novels to book clubs that generally only operate in prose. So how did you get started doing this? I mean, I know you're a big graphic novel reader, but what made you kind of inspired to infiltrate book clubs? I'm making it sound very sinister. (laughs) Whatever works. So the, the first time I did this was actually with I, I was just talking with a patron who happened to come in and happened to say, 
hey, show me where your adult graphic novel collection is. And I happened to be the one working at that point. And so because it's my interest, I chatted her up because that's what I do when everybody, whenever anybody asks about comics. And it turned out that she was looking for a graphic novel to pick for her just friends book club. Mm-hmm. So not at all associated with the library. And I just took it upon myself to say, I would be very happy to come co-host with you. It was one of those situations where the um, the person who picks the title rotates through the membership and it was her month or whatever. And so she just decided to go that direction. And after I, I sort of handed her a small stack and said, maybe these or ask me if they don't look good. And when she figured out the one she wanted, I just joined them and had a book club meeting. And I was there to do my, I guess, extended librarian thing. Yeah. Outreach, man. Yeah. Um, Do you remember what the book was? Yes, that was the Encyclopedia of Early Earth by, I believe the author's name is Isabel Greenberg. Wow. And well, and we'll put that in the, I'll confirm and put it in the show notes. So listeners, don't worry. So how did the conversation go? I'm assuming this was a group of people who had not read a lot of graphic novels. Right. There was a little bit of experience in the crowd. I want to say it was about a dozen people. A couple of them had read a little bit. A couple of them had family members or friends who had talked about it. So they had a a frame of reference there. But for the most part, it was brand new to them. Except, of course, something that often comes up in these situations that is that people understandably think of themselves as not being a reader of graphic novels. Right. But they very likely read comic strips or comic books when they were little and think they they tend to find that they are more familiar than they thought they were going into it. To my mind, the distinction between ideas like comic book and graphic novel and comic strip is it's not meaningless, but it is a lot... Maybe kind of academic? I guess less meaningful than we tend to give the, those distinctions. Right. That's always really exciting and fulfilling when you can kind of empower people to to realize they know more than they think they do. Yeah, it is. So how has this, I think you called it your graphic novel ambassadorship, how has this expanded for you? Well, that time, you know, that was just a sort of a, a one-off situation where I said, I'd be happy to go do this if you'd like. And it turned out well. So from then on, that gave me the confidence to, to more actively promote that idea. Yeah. After that, I made an appearance in a library book club that I'm not associated with. And then I've brought them to my generally prose-oriented book club that is at the library. So, um, oh, and then there was a local museum that wanted to do one. So they invited me as well. So it's just, it's become more of a thing that I offer sooner in the conversation. Right. You're the guy. Yeah. So what makes a graphic novel a good choice for a book group? Yeah, um, it is. It's a little bit fuzzier than I thought it was when I started looking at those kinds of questions before you and I were talking. The easiest thing to say is that if you have a book club with a theme, there's no reason to go outside that theme if you want to bring books into it. Most genres or topics or themes will have something on the graphic novel shelf that's relevant. So you don't have to make it a you know complete break with what you are used to doing. Right. And on the other hand, if you do have a, a book club that just sort of reads whatever anybody decides is interesting, then of course, 
fair game to pick whatever in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I think this is a little bit subjective and definitely not scientific, but I think the things that make a good choice for a, a book club that typically uses prose for their materials is something that's long but not too long mm-hmm. and something that is wordy but not too wordy okay and something that visually interesting but not too far out there which is a all of those things are a tricky balance right but what you don't want to do is completely alienate your book club members with something that is very unfamiliar or to give them something that's sort of too easy and doesn't give anybody anything to latch onto that feels different enough to be worth talking about. So do you have any faves that you suggest or ones that you've had a lot of success with? Yeah. So I wasn't involved in this instance, but I had a friend who had a book club and that was pros only and they brought Boxers and Saints, the, the like two volume pair by Jean Nguyen Yang. And they said that that worked really well because it's it's a it's an interesting topic it's unfamiliar chunk of history probably to most american readers and i imagine canadian readers as well it's about the the boxer rebellion and it takes a view from like both sides of that conflict yeah and in fact the whole thing is structured that way so there's two volumes each of which takes that perspective or takes that different perspective and each of which also has a different visual approach and sort of a narrative structure and things so there's a lot to with what is effectively one work there's a lot to get into of how that story is told and why and how it makes you feel and react what is the author slash artist doing here? And Yeah, that was a really good choice. And it was interesting to hear all of that from my friend who ran that one. One of the other appearances I made was in our African Writers Book Club, which usually does prose, of course. And also they alternate between fiction and nonfiction. And we read Aya of Yap City, which is, I think is in, in like one or two big chunky collections. And that's by Margar- Marguerite Aboué and Clément Aubrary. feel like I pronounced the okay. <laughs> and um, besides it being relevant because it's about just everyday life in Côte d'Ivoire, I want to say 1960s. So it's relevant to this book club being about African writers, mm-hmm. but also it, it's sort of an ordinary story in that it's it's just about people doing their thing. So the fact that it was told in this different medium meant that the story itself was good and interesting as any story might be, but that there was a different way to access that story for the readers. Yeah, that's interesting. Kind of opening their eyes to this is stuff you normally read. Do it with pictures too. Right. And then talk about how that, you know, worked for you, how it was different and effective or not effective and so on. So it was a being able to blend something that's familiar with something that isn't familiar works out really well there. Have you gotten resistance from people or at the point where you're invited, it's kind of, they're already more or less on board? It is. I mean, you know, all of these, of course, anybody is welcome not to attend the book club and there are many reasons for that. But uh, I think the, the few times I've done it from mine, there have been one or two people who are like totally on board to go through this journey with us. And then having gone through it, their conclusion is like, you know, that's not for me. <laughs> and that is totally fine. That's the thing that I think is actually worth affirming as the host or the librarian on hand is like, it's absolutely okay if this stuff is for you. I think what's important is giving it a try and having the conversation about 
you know, what works or doesn't work and why it might sort of end up on that side of the spectrum. Right. And that, that totally tracks with the philosophy of a book group. You know, you're, you're reading something you wouldn't normally read on your own. Right. And you might not ever read it again, but it's still an experience. Yeah. I don't know if you found the conversation to be really different from prose when you're talking about a prose book, but what kind of things do you talk about when you're leading a group in a graphic novel discussion? It does end up being pretty different from discussing prose because it's natural for there to be a segue into just considering the medium itself. And usually when we're all on the same level, like we are all together reading prose, you don't have a need to discuss like, so what is prose? Would somebody define that for me? What's its history? How do you read it? And so on. Those are things that we, we have as a baseline. Bringing this new kind of material in, it is, makes perfect sense to me. That conversation always turns to some degree to a, a formal artistic consideration. And that's, to me, it's super interesting. I think I didn't expect that at first. So I was a little disappointed the first couple of times that we didn't discuss the work itself quite as much as I was anticipating. But now that I've seen how that works, I've found to be really rewarding. So that's what I expect now. And it is actually very interesting because as a librarian, I suppose, I like being able to help people through their coming to their own conclusions and having their own questions about this stuff. And that is really interesting and encouraging and affirming, I think, as, you know, one of the things that we do as a profession. Oh, that's beautifully put. (laughs) So I imagine some of our listeners are maybe not big graphic novel readers, but if they want to, you know, introduce a graphic novel to their book group, is there any place that you recommend for them to kind of get themselves up to speed on, on how to answer questions or how to kind of frame the discussion about the format? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is that it's definitely worthwhile to see if any of your coworkers would want to co-host it with you or even to visit a, a comic shop or a bookshop in town if you can find somebody who that's their thing. Or Yeah, bring in an expert. I think it would be worthwhile for the host, if they are not as familiar, to read Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Yes, a classic. It is, and it's very good at talking about how they work and empowering you to take them seriously in this conversation. Which in, if you haven't before, that idea might just be altogether unfamiliar and that's okay. And now here's a great accessible batch of information on why it is worth taking seriously. You may take that information and then still decide it's not for you and that's cool giving it a chance that way. That reminds me that Scott McCloud did a TED Talk that was basically sort of a presentation version of the book. And I'll dig up the link to that because I I remember sharing that with a book group before we read March by John Lewis. Mm -hmm. And folks were really, that might be a little bit easier, I think, for uh, the person leading the book group. Understanding Comics is a great book. And if you have time, you should read it. But I'll also link to that TED Talk as sort of a TLDR version. That makes a lot of sense. The only caveat that I will give as a follow-up is that more and more I've come to believe that Scott McCloud's ideas dominate our conversation about what that medium is far too much, in my opinion. And they're great. He explains himself beautifully and has done us a giant favor because he, to my understanding, basically opened up all of those ideas 
to serious consideration and that's awesome. But there are a whole lot of other very different ideas from his. And so I guess the only thing that I would recommend folks keep in mind as they are reading or watching that TED Talk is just that his are not the only ideas. Yeah. And maybe I'll get you to give me some other ideas and we'll put them in the show notes. I would be happy to do that. That's one of my, I have a talk these days called Underestimating Comics, in which I introduce those ideas even more thoroughly. So happy to. Excellent. So what other, what other advice do you have for people who want to be their own graphic novel ambassador? Yeah, I think one thing that is important is to be patient with new readers. Mm -hmm. And if that's you, then be patient with yourself. If you're not used to this stuff, it can be really challenging. And a question that I find often comes up in these situations is not even really a question, but just sort of an expression of frustration, perhaps. Yeah. Confoundment of, I don't know how to read these things. I tried really hard. I didn't understand. There was too much going on. Do you read the words and then the pictures? Do you switch back and forth? I'm just confused and I didn't get far into it. Often people will stop because of that. And so being patient and encouraging with folks who are in that situation is really important. So you can let them know, like I said before, it's okay. And then number two, it's okay to reread in a way that is, um, I feel like we have a cultural bias against rereading generally, that if you are reading something for the second time, you're not really getting anything out of it. You're taking the easy way out of what should be, in quotation marks, an enlightening experience. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem in general, but also if it sets a reader up for being disappointed with themselves, that's also no good. So rereading a page or a panel or even the whole book is totally okay. (laughs) So let them know that, let yourself know that, take whatever time is needed, tell people who had to stop halfway through that that's okay. It is really interesting to talk about the art and how that fits in with the story that's being told, how it tells the story, or, you know, if people think it fails, how it failed to tell the story. And you probably won't be used to talking about art in a prose book club. Um, But just don't miss that opportunity. You can be as blunt as, did you like the pictures? That's totally a fine way in to what will be a super interesting conversation because it's another one of those things that's very subjective and that people bring a lot of different perspectives to. So just don't hesitate to bring that into the conversation very explicitly. Sounds like one of the main things people should do is trust what they already know about leading a book group. Yeah. And open it up to talking about art and talking about how you consume the story and things like that. Yeah. Yep. Let it go probably more loosey-goosey than even a regular prose conversation would go because there's more loosey-goosey places to go. Yeah, but that's what's fun. Yeah. And that's why people come to library book groups. I mean, that's one of many reasons why people come to library book groups is to have their horizons expanded. And on a more specific level, it's definitely important to be mindful of whether there's adult content in your work that you've chosen because seeing sex or violence on the page is very different from reading it and that may be fine there may be no objections or maybe people are like oh i just this is this actually works better to you know have a gunshot than to have 50 words about 
a gunshot or, you know, whatever it is. Right. It's more impactful this way or. It may work fine, but of course not for everyone. And it's important just to know that going into it, you may want to, you know, give your readers a heads up or just know that it'll be part of the conversation. You'll know your book club members enough to judge how you want to approach that. But just keeping that in mind is really important. And I also recommend for your own sake and for the sake of the book club members to gather a pile of additional graphic novels. So it's a really good opportunity for show and tell. It lets you show off the collection. I've heard from some of my book club members that they really like the opportunity to get informed in a way that doesn't usually happen because they're used to paying attention to prose-oriented media as far as Uh, reviews and book recommendations and so on. And you're a trusted source. So bringing this to them is a a good way to get them that information in a like familiar kind of context. Yeah. So you might want to be like, here are additional comics that are by this person or that are similar, or you might want to show off the huge range you have on your shelves. Yeah, here's something totally different. That's kind of fun. And I've also had really good luck making little handouts. So like tiny brochures of recommended reading, read-alikes, and so on, that they can take home with them and sort of consider on their own time and, you know, put things on hold or look at pictures on the internet or whatever they want to do with it. So they're not overwhelmed by those ideas. So do you have any, we talked about some books that you've had success with. Are there any like kind of sure bets that somebody who's new to not necessarily reading graphic novels, but new to graphic novels in a book group, any suggestions for where they might start? Yeah, so I just this afternoon found, wait, it's not afternoon yet, just this morning. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is recorded in advance, it's not live, so who knows what time it is when people are reading it. The future. So the the comic book Legal Defense Fund um, actually has, among bajillions of other super helpful resources, I've just found that they have a page devoted to using graphic novels in education, and in fact, the web address is cbldf.org slash using dash graphic dash novels. All right. So there's the URL. And it is, it's geared toward classroom situations. And ordinarily that wouldn't really overlap with a book club, but what it does is where you may be familiar with how deep or, or shallow you need to approach this or that aspect of a prose book, it can be a little bit tricky to try to understand how to do that um, with a comic book. And what this page has is a ton of titles, each of which has a guide for teachers. And I think it would be a really good way to start. You almost certainly would not want to get as in-depth as they have, you know, they can prepare you to get from these resources. But it's a, a really deep dive into like what to talk about when you're talking about this work. Yeah big long list of readily available, very well-regarded titles. So that's a good place to go. Okay. Well, thank you, Patrick. And thank you, Pancake, (laughs) for participating. And so, like I said, we'll have all of the titles and and, uh, resources and stuff in the show notes. And are you reading a graphic novel right now that you want to shout out? And yeah, I just finished reading a memoir called Dumb by Georgia Weber. That was really interesting and really affecting and a super engaging work of comics, like as comics. And what it is is a story of the author's 
she had a vocal injury that left her unable to talk for several months. And the sort of emotional state that that put her in, the process of getting treated and, and everything involved with that huge undertaking. And then about halfway through the story as you're reading it, she decides that she needs to talk about this in her comics. And so you, you witness a recreation of how she works through the process of trying to express these ideas visually, because it's, it's already on the topic of being un unable to communicate the way that you're used to. So fully changing gears into writing it down and drawing pictures is really interesting to see in practice. It's a, just a really great mix of what makes the memoir good and what makes comics interesting as an art form. And I was uh, kind of shocked to, to respond to it so well because memoir usually isn't my thing in the comics world. Cool. Well, that sounds amazing. That sounds like it would actually be a really interesting book group selection also. Well, thanks for chatting with us. We'll include your email in the show notes so if folks have questions or want advice from you, they can reach out. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. No, 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 wait. This is an ad for the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Join me and the Dewey Decibel Correspondents each month for conversations with authors, librarians, scholars, and more about topics from the library world and beyond. Past guests Sally Field, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Kwame Alexander, Margaret Atwood, Stephanie Powell Watts, Viet Tan Nguyen, Brad Meltzer, Rick Steves, Ken Burns, Michael Eric Dyson, and many more have joined us to talk about everything from books and writing to library architecture and design. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Booklist's audio editor, Heather Booth, with some more suggestions on connecting your patrons with audiobooks. This month, in honor of both Audiobook Month and our Spotlight on Book Discussions, here are my top five tips for bringing audiobooks into your book discussion group. Number one, remember that audiobooks are books. I know it, you know it, just make sure your patrons do too. When you're selecting titles, make sure there's an audio version especially if you're selecting classics, which many readers find easier to listen to. And check Booklist online for reviews of the recording. Remember that offering audiobooks is an accessibility accommodation as well. You may have patrons who read with their ears and haven't joined your discussions yet because of lack of access to the books in the format they need. If you set aside copies of your discussion titles for easy checkout, be sure you always have a couple titles, a couple copies of the audio version ready in both CD and downloadable. Include verbiage in your book group announcements that's welcoming and encouraging of audiobook readers, and promote your book discussions in the audiobook as well as the print and large print sections of your physical space. 2. Set the scene with clips. Audiobook clips can be a great way to introduce your next title at the end of a meeting, or to kick off the discussion of this month's title at the beginning. Instead of your usual icebreaker or introductory question to start off the discussion, why not play a particularly moving, funny, or impassioned segment from the audiobook to set the scene and immediately pull your book group into the story? If you listen to the audiobook yourself, you can use the bookmark feature on your listening app to mark the section. 
Or do you have an avid audiobook listener in your group? Encourage them to bring the clip to share with the group. You could also just let the publisher decide what to share. Many publishers provide clips, either on SoundCloud or on their own websites. Three, go all in with an audio discussion group. This group could share great audiobooks they've listened to recently, or focus on one title at a time, like a traditional book group. When you select for this group, make sure you're choosing an audio with a performance that's just as compelling as the text is. Look for full casts, starred audio, book lists editors' choice selections, or maybe something with an unreliable narrator or alternating perspectives that really let the performance add to the interpretation of the book. Just be sure to extend that inclusivity in the other direction, too, and be welcoming to the print readers as well. If you want to test the waters on this idea, try selecting an audio for your regular book group for everyone to listen to in June for Audiobook Month or during a month when people are often pressed for time, around the holidays or transitional times of year like May or September. Number four, share the special features. Some audio productions offer things you just can't get in print. Angie Cruz's Dominicana, produced by Macmillan, includes a 20-minute interview between the author and narrator Coral Pena about their own experiences and the experiences of immigrants and Dominican women and how they relate to the book. In The Stonewall Reader, while you could read the transcribed archival interviews in print, it's nothing like hearing the voices of the players who were instrumental in various elements of the Stonewall Uprising in Books on Tape's audio version, which includes illuminating interviews with drag queens, a group dramatically mistreated by the justice system. Or even The Bishop's Pawn, also by Macmillan and read by Scott Brick, which ends with the author, Steve Barry, giving insight from the historical research that informs his fast-paced historical thrillers. Finally, number five, pull in the podcast fans. You're here, so obviously you like podcasts, and a bunch of your patrons do too. Try selecting a serialized podcast to listen to instead of a book, or select a book with a podcast connection. Podcast connection titles are easier to find online now by using the advanced search feature in Booklist Online. A few good ones to try include Harper Audio's The Faceless Old Woman Who Lives Under Your Stairs, narrated by Mara Wilson, who also plays a role in the Welcome to Night Vale podcast from which the story comes. American Manifesto from Oasis is confidently read by the author, Bob Garfield, of WNYC's On the Media, and is a great selection for your news junkie podcast fans and that nonfiction crowd ready to dive into history and politics. Or lean into the true crime podcast trend with Harper's The Killer Across the Table about the nuances of FBI profiling, which is read by actor Jonathan Groff, who plays a character based on the author, John E. Douglas, in Mindhunter. A conversation between Groff and Douglas ends the production, boosting the podcast-friendly feel. I know some of you are doing creative things out there with audiobooks in your book discussion groups. Please share your smarts with us. Clue me in at booklist underscore audio on Twitter. Until next time, happy listening. Professional development is super important for library staff, but finding the time and the funds is real tricky. Booklist webinars are a great way to squeeze some continuing education into your busy schedule. Each free one-hour webinar covers something staff can take right into their work. Like what? How's about picture books, or sci-fi and fantasy books, or craft books, or book group picks, or library management, or library reads? So many topics covered each in one convenient hour. Register to watch the webinar live or to be notified when the video is up in the archives. All free. All just one hour. Perfect for those days when you only have enough time off the service desk to eat a sad sandwich in your office. Find upcoming webinars and archives at booklistonline.com webinars. All right, I'm here with Ronnie Curry to talk about what you're reading. 
So, Ronnie, you are uh, an associate editor in Books for Youth, is that right? I am. I, I have been so for a little over a year now. Yeah, you're one of our one of our newest. I am. I still feel new. I don't know when that fades, but do you find yourself reading a lot of youth books for fun, or? Yeah, I read and I read pretty widely um, within youth. Although middle grade fantasy has always been sort of my go to, my comfort. Although picture books, I mean. My, my new take is that picture books might be kind of the greatest art medium that we have. Oh. I don't know if, if that's a hill I want to die on, but it's I've been falling in love with picture books lately. So. You will at least get injured on the hill. <laughs> I'll take a hit, yeah. Well, so I by no means a picture book expert, but I am an admirer of them. So I agree that they're like amazing and beautiful. But can you talk a little more about that, about why it's the greatest art ever? I mean, it combines poetry with illustration it's it might just be appealing to my sensibilities i should say but and there's then there's almost kind of no rules there it can be zero words it can be you know in the well in the low thousands of words um sometimes but it gives a real freedom to creators to kind of do what they want to do and then there's the collaborative element of an author and an illustrator assuming it's two different people it's 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 unique in that way i think and it's also like performance. It's a, it's they're they're meant for read alouds often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interactive. Uh, it can it can do so many different things. I'm gonna send you some picture books. <laughs> Yay! So let's talk about what you're excited about reading now, picture book or otherwise. Good. Yeah, I can talk about one picture book that I that I recently enjoyed. One that I feel like has has gone under the radar. It's called Lion Needs a Haircut. Oh my gosh, <laughs> a pandemic book. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's by Haiwan Yum, um, author and illustrator. And it is kind of your standard, not an issue book, but it's about getting haircuts. Mm-hmm. And so you've got two lions, a father and a son, two shaggy lions, and the son doesn't want to get a haircut. <laughs> I'm really proving my point about the depth and importance of picture books here. Right. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's the trick is that they seem so simple, but... <laughs> right. And so much of the magic here is in the art, which I unfortunately cannot show you. We'll link to the title in the show notes so people can peruse. But it's essentially, this this father is trying to push the son to get a haircut, and the son doesn't want to. And so you have two lions who are anthrop- anthropomorphized, but they're still lions. So they're essentially roaring at each other and, and kind of battling over it. And in the end, it sort of turns into a heartwarming. Um, the son wanted to be like the father, who was also shaggy. Um, and then they end up getting haircuts together. Uh-huh. But it's, it's just hilarious as you go through. I should also say that I'm a shaggy father with a shaggy toddler. Um, so, so it really hit home for me. Excellent. So I know you also are a graphic novel reader. And do you feel like the ideas that you had about picture books, does that apply to graphic novels? Or is it different? No, I mean, graphic novels definitely stand alone in, in kind of what they can do. I, I do I've also discovered I'm I'm sort of a visual person, so I've been I was you know drawn to picture books and, and graphic novels for the same reasons. But yeah, and so for me, anything that that can bring a new a new element to the storytelling, like graphic novels do, like picture books do, can enrich or at least can offer a, a unique sort of way of storytelling. And so yeah, I, I have been delving into graphic novels lately, and it's I mean I dare say you know the hot one of the hotter <laughs> um, arts of publishing right now. It's it's a good time to be reading graphic novels. Yeah. Anything in particular? Yeah. Um, there's a new imprint through Random House, Random House Graphic, that I'm all about right now. Oh, a whole imprint. A whole imprint. There's a lot of new imprints, especially in that space right now, which is which is pretty exciting. 
But Random House Graphic has a book forthcoming called The Magic Fish mm. by, I believe, a debut as far as a full graphic novel, Trungle Nguyen. And it is... I want to call it a masterpiece. Do it. But it's about a boy who is the son of Vietnamese immigrants, and he's also gay. And his parents don't have a great grasp on English, um, and he so he he is more fluent in English having um, grown up mm-hmm. um, in America. And so it's about him and their communication barrier, basically. And the way they connect is through um, basically checking out library books, checking out fairy tales from the library and reading them to each other. Oh, my God, my heart. Yeah, it's beautiful. And as it goes on, the mother sort of uses the fairy tales and, and kind of evolves the story to communicate, you know, her emotions to him as he tries to tell her um, to come out to her. And it's it's a very limited color palette. It's this very kind of distinct style that is just it's gorgeous. And it's... Um, yeah, I can't I can't say enough about it. Is that a middle grade or I mean it sounds like it would have appeal to many age ranges, but mm-hmm. it's being marketed uh towards upper middle grade um slash YA. But for me, I mean it does kind of follow the mother at points. So for me it, it really hits intergenerationally, which is an ex- it's kind of a, a unique category. And can you say the title one more time? That is The Magic Fish by Trung Le Nguyen. Yay. And we'll also put that in the show notes so everyone can look at it and weep. <laughs> I mean, happy cheers. It's magical as well. It's not, uh, it's not a sad story necessarily. No, but I mean, be moved is what I mean. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that and for sharing your some reading insights with us. It is my pleasure. I don't get to talk about books too much these days <laughs> out loud. <laughs> I don't get to talk out loud to anyone. Well, I'm glad I could facilitate some sanity and we'll talk to you again soon. All righty. Thanks. Thanks, Ronnie. That's a wrap on this episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Thanks to Patrick, Heather, and Ronnie for sharing your expertise and for making our TBR piles even more gigantic. All of the titles mentioned are listed in the show notes on booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. Until next time, happy reading, folks. 